We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to the Money Matters podcast if you're a regular listener and welcome if you're new to the podcast. I'm Laura Suter and with me is Danny Houston. Hi, Danny. Hi, Laura. Hello, everyone. Hopefully, you know by now that this pod is aimed at helping women really get to grips with their finances, whatever stage of life they are at. This week, we're talking hats and confetti. Yep, Valentine's Day is just gone. Some of you might be sporting a shiny new rock. If that is you, congratulations. But now the real work starts. Yeah, the average UK wedding last year cost a whopping £18,400, according to research from hitch.co.uk, which is a massive amount. So if you've got a big wedding planned, then stay tuned as we're going to be talking about the best ways to save, even when inflation is still at a 40-year high. And if you're thinking that £18,400 is way too much to spend on one day, no matter how good, well, we've drafted in Lauren Catton from the blog The Thrifty Bride to give you tips on having a blast on a budget. And we'll also have my favourite part of the podcast, Lauren's confessional. And don't forget you can share your confessionals with us on social media. Yeah, we love to hear those confessions. I have to say it is my favourite bit of the podcast too. And I want you to confess right now, Laura, how much did you spend on your wedding? Oh my gosh. Okay. It was a while ago and I actually can't remember the figure. You've got me on the spot here. But (laughs) I think um, more than I wanted to spend, but I didn't go too crazy. We all know that I am a big fan of a spreadsheet and planning. It won't surprise you to know that I had a wedding budget spreadsheet. Um, (laughs) And so we had allocated an amount of money. And then I think we went slightly over, but not too far over. Um, I think my big thing about wedding, the wedding was I didn't want to get in any debt because of it. So I really didn't want to end up with starting our married life with big credit card debt or anything like that. Um, We also didn't go on a massively spendy honeymoon because I think we realized that that would put us into debt as well. So we had a lovely two weeks going around Greece, but we didn't do the kind of mega all-inclusive Mauritius five-star resort that sets you back many, many thousands. Um, How about you? You had quite a low-key wedding, didn't you? We had a low-key wedding um, because my dad was really poorly at the time and unfortunately he didn't make um, the wedding. Um, But he did pay for it and we stuck absolutely to the amount that he'd given us and we only had 30 people at the wedding because we wanted to have all the nice stuff but we didn't, as you said, didn't want to get into debt. We did have the great big whopping honeymoon, though, but we did it almost two years later because, as I say, my dad passed away just a couple of days after our wedding in the end. So we went round the world, but we saved up for it. Amazing. Yeah. 
<laughs> but you know, one thing is for sure, whether you are getting married, whether you're helping to pay for a wedding, and, and I know that in the next, well, maybe 15 years or so, I've got to think about that. And you probably have to think about that, but not quite 15 years, I would suspect. <laughs> but even if you're a guest, you know, you're probably going to have to save up. Um, and at the moment, if you've got your cash in a regular bank account, it's very likely that inflation is taking its toll. We know that the headline consumer price index is coming down. That's the figure that they quote on the news broadcasts and on newspapers. Um, but it's coming down incredibly slowly. So in January, it fell to 10.1%. And that's still double figures. You know, we're still talking about a 40 year high. And it means that things that cost 100 quid last year are now costing 110 pounds. But if you've had that £100 sitting in your regular bank account, you'll have been incredibly lucky to have made any interest at all, which means that your hard-earned 100 quid, what it would have bought you last year, it just won't buy you this year. So we thought we'd just go through the best place to park your cash while you save. And that goes for the bank of mum and dad too, if that's you, because they're in the same boat, Laura. Exactly. So I think the things to say at the moment is rates are changing pretty quickly at the moment. So what was the top rate account a week ago might not be the same account today. But I thought I'd give you a flavor of the kind of rates that you can get on accounts. Um, so the top rate for everyone is 3.11% with Synergy Bank. Um, so if you've got £5,000 of money sitting in an account earning nothing right now and you move it to this top rate, you'll earn just over £155 in a year for moving it. So I would say we're now at the point where rates are high enough where it's worth the hassle of moving. I think lots of people, when rates are lower, think, oh, it's too much hassle to move my money and I'm not going to make that much Anyway, if we're talking about the difference between earning no interest and half a percent, people probably think not really worth it. But rates have gone up dramatically. And I think now those kind of few minutes of hassle of opening a new account is definitely worth it. Um, so back to the rates. If you've got less than £5,000 stashed away, you can get a slightly higher rate. You can get 3.35% with Yorkshire Building Society. Another top tip is to check with your existing bank. So some banks will offer a preferential rate for existing customers. So definitely check out on their website or go on. Most of them have kind of chat help functions. Go on there and see if there's any preferential savings rates you can get, get from being a customer already. And then you can also lock up your money for longer. So if you're saving for your own wedding or you're saving for a big wedding abroad next year of your friends um, and you know that you can lock your money up for a bit longer because you don't need it, then you can earn a bit more money. So um, you can earn 4.2% if you lock it up for one year or 4% with NSNI, which is the government-backed savings provider. So some people might prefer you know, to go with that provider and... and um, except slightly lower rate. Uh, usually the method is the longer you lock away your money, the higher the interest rate you'll get. That's not the case at the moment. And that's because we're expecting interest rates to kind of peak soon and then fall back down again towards the end of this year, maybe start of next year. Um, and so it means that your the top two year fix is 4.26%. So any ever so slightly more than that one year fix 
So for lots of people, I think they might not think that that's worth it for the extra year that they're going to have to lock away their money. So for example, on a thousand pounds, that extra amount you're earning equates to 60p more interest a year. So maybe not worth it. <laughs> it's also worth looking to see if banks are offering you cash to shift your account. Because I know there was a huge movement last year because there were a lot of really good deals not quite so many around uh, at the moment. Um, Before we talk about other savings products, just go through the different kinds of bank account out there because there are a bewildering number. Yeah, exactly. So I think there are lots of different savings accounts. The ones that I was talking about before were easy access accounts. They're where you can get your money in and out whenever you want. Um, And then when I was talking about fixing for longer, that's a fixed rate account where you get a higher interest rate, but you can't take that money out for that fixed rate period. So if you get a one year fix, you can't take the money out for one year. Lots of banks won't let you take that money out at all. Some will be slightly more flexible and will let you take the money out, but you have to sacrifice a lot of interest or your interest rate will drop dramatically. So they're not accounts for money where you think you might need it or there's a chance you might need it in the next year. Um, And then probably the other popular option is regular saver accounts. So this is where you get a higher interest rate than you would on those other accounts, but for putting away a certain amount of money each month. The accounts differ between what the minimum and the maximum amount that you can put away each month is. They also differ in their rules. Some will let you miss a month if you don't have enough money to put away that month. Others won't, and you have to pay in at least the minimum, which is usually about £25 or £50 a month. Um, But they're a good way of getting much higher rates. So, for example, First Direct at the moment is paying 7% interest on regular monthly savings, um, and you can save up to £300 a month in the accounts. The big caveat here is this is great for money that you're saving now. So if you think, okay, I've got money to put away from my income each month, and you can siphon that money off into a regular savings account, it's a really good option for that. If you've got a pot of money sitting there already, and you think, okay, well, I'll gradually filter that into a regular savings account, it's not quite such a good option, because that money sitting there could be earning more money elsewhere, um, or at least a similar amount of money in a kind of fixed rate or easy access account. And that's because with a regular monthly saver, that 7% figure that I talked about there, only your first month's payment is going to get a full year in that account at 7%. Your second month's payment will get 11 months of earning that 7% interest rate, all the way through to your final month's figure that you pay in, only getting one month of that 7% interest rate. And so that means that that 7% kind of equalizes out. So for example, with that first direct one, if you put in the full £300 a month, um, then based on the interest that you would get across the year, it equates to a 3.8% interest across all of that money. Um, And as we talked about before, you could get more than that with a one-year fix at the moment. So it's important not to be seduced by that headline figure of 7%, um, but they're a really good option if you're getting into the savings habit and you want to put away a bit of money every month. So that is the good news. But if you do have a decent amount of cash, then you need to think about the tax man. You do, unfortunately. And so there's a rule called the personal savings allowance. And what that means is the interest that you earn from your savings is tax free, but only up to a limit. So for basic rate taxpayers, people paying 20% income tax, um, you 
The first £1,000 of your savings interest is tax-free each tax year. If you're a higher rate taxpayer, so you're on that 40% income tax rate, then you get a £500 of savings interest tax-free each year before you have to pay tax. And if you're an additional rate taxpayer, so you're on that top 45% of income tax, you get no tax-free allowance. So any of your savings income, you will pay tax on. Um, Previously, that was fine. When interest rates were really, really low, you would have had to have had a massive amount in cash savings and it just wouldn't have affected many people before you'd hit those thresholds. But now interest rates have risen. Um, you could have slightly more modest amounts in your account before you hit those thresholds. So if we take a look at the kind of current top rates at the moment, a basic rate taxpayer can have about £32,000 in their savings before they're going to hit that limit, assuming it was earning the top rate at the moment. Um, and a higher rate taxpayer would have about £16,000 in cash savings at that top rate before they hit their limit and then pay tax on their savings. And the tax that you pay on your savings is the same as your income tax rate. So if you're a um, higher rate taxpayer, you'll be paying 40% tax on that savings income that you get. So actually, it's it's not that much cash that you can have saved away. And if you're talking about a wedding, you know, that £16,000 is not going to cover everything, is it? Um, no, I think if you think about, you know, saving for a wedding and then your honeymoon, and then also maybe you might also be saving on the side for to buy your first home or, you know, have your emergency funding cash. If you add all of those up together, some people will start to hit those limits, won't they? So... There are ways to protect your cash, and we've spoken before about tax wrappers and ISA. Cash ISA is probably the one that people know the best, but there are other kinds of tax wrappers for savings as well. Yeah, so I think ISA is probably the, the most applicable one when we're talking about cash savings. So you can have a cash ISA and any money that you have in those cash ISA savings accounts, all of the interest on your savings is tax free. So you don't have to worry about that limit that I talked about earlier. Um, However, as always, there's a catch. Um, so often uh, cash ISA savings accounts, the providers will offer a lower interest rate on them than non-ISA savings accounts. So earlier I talked about the top rate that you can get on a non-ISA easy access account is 3.11%. Well, the top rate that you can get on an equivalent ISA account is 2.91%. So you're accepting a lower interest rate for the tax perks of having an ISA. So it's pretty tricky to work out whether you're better off accepting the lower interest rate, but not paying any tax on your savings, or you accept the higher interest rate and the chance that you might pay tax on it. I crunch some numbers on it. And generally, if you've hit the personal savings allowance, so you have enough in cash savings to hit that, and you're a higher rate taxpayer, you're likely to be better off accepting the lower rate and picking the cash ISA account. However, if you're a basic rate taxpayer and you're either near or you've gone over that personal savings allowance, you might be better, you're probably better off taking that higher interest rate on the non-ISA account and paying the tax on your savings. It really depends how much you've got in savings accounts um, and how much tax you can be paying, but you can do a few sums and work out which might be better. I think the caveat is that you need to think about future years as well. So you can pay in up to £20,000 into your ISAs in any tax year. Um, and that's 
across all of your ISAs, whether that's cash ISAs, lifetime ISA, um, stocks and shares ISA, it's a total £20,000 limit for all of those accounts. Um, and if in future you think you might have a lot of cash savings and become a higher rate taxpayer or an additional rate taxpayer, and so really lose that tax-free benefit that you get on your savings interest, then you might be wise to use a cash ISA now and use up your allowance now. Now, you're talking about thinking about those sort of time horizons. And, and we always say if you're sort of thinking beyond five years, then you might want to consider investing your cash in a different way. And you mentioned there the stocks and shares, ISA. That might sound scary to some people, but if you're not planning on getting hitched for the next five years, then investing is likely to bring you better returns. And don't be put off from the headlines that were around last year, because the thing about stock markets is they go up and they go down and then they go back up again. And I did some number crunching just like you. And if you'd put, say, £1,000 in a simple FTSE 100 tracker fund five years ago, and I looked at BlackRock's iShares Core FTSE 100 ETF exchange traded fund, then you'd be looking at a return of approximately 27% over five years. Now, that's annualized, so you don't get 27% a year. But it would mean that your £1,000 would have grown to about £1,270, minus trading commissions and provider fees. And you can start investing and um, lots of platforms out there. So do take a look, figure out the best one for you. But AJ Bell's Doddle app, you can start for just £25 a month if you set up a direct debit or a £100 lump sum. And we have done a couple of Money Matters pods on investing for beginners, but we will return to it definitely in a future episode. And don't forget, allowances can change. And in fact, tax-free allowances for dividends and capital gains will be cut in April. Now let's get back to wedding vows. Danny, you've been chatting with one bride who turned her thrifty wedding plans into a business. Yes, Lauren Catton blogged about her mission to get her dream wedding at a budget-friendly price. And her website, The Thrifty Bride, has become a mecca for like-minded brides-to-be. I caught up with her earlier this month to get her to share some fantastic tips. I suppose the the first thing really is why did you start this money saving blog? Um, we got engaged at the end of twenty eighteen, um, and pretty well, I pretty much went straight into wedding planning. <laughs> um, and everywhere I looked, we already knew we didn't want to spend a lot anyway. We've always been quite budget conscious with everything that we've done. So we knew we didn't really want a big wedding because it just wasn't us. Um, we'd been together quite a long time at that point as well. So I started looking around for like, and I'm sure you know yourself, if you put wedding onto anything, it costs an absolute fortune. So I started looking around for like venues, dresses, and it was just coming out like way above what we wanted to spend. But then I also couldn't really find any information about like budget-friendly weddings and small weddings. Um, this was obviously pre-COVID, so micro-weddings weren't a thing really at this point either. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was like, well, there's nothing out there, so I'll document my own journey. Um, I'd add a blog anyway. I've got a lifestyle blog as well. I just wanted something completely separate. And it did start off, like say, doing my own wedding journey and I quickly found out there were actually lots of other people out there that 
also wanted to save money on their wedding and wanted a small wedding and it just grew from there. I know some people yeah. are lucky enough that they maybe have parents or friends and family who are going to be able to contribute to that. And if, if you're in that situation, fantastic, have a lovely time. But I also know huge numbers of people are in exactly the same situation as you. So how how were you able to shave thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds off that wedding budget and still have the day that you wanted? Um, obviously, we did have to make a few compromises. Um, I think that just comes naturally if you are looking at cutting your budget, there are going to have to be compromises. And I think you just have to accept that um, and decide what you are willing to compromise on and firm things that you're not willing to compromise on. Like for me personally, I was looking at buying my wedding dress just like from the high street or like ASOS or something. And then I was like, nope, that's not, I can't compromise on that. I want the wedding dress shopping experience. (laughs) For me personally, that wasn't something I could compromise on um, because I cut so much out while still having a day that I wanted. Um, So yeah, I think really you just need to look at what you are willing to cut back on. Um, Like again, we didn't have a wedding breakfast because for us that wasn't we wanted a really relaxed informal day and a wedding breakfast is quite formal you have your seating plans and all things like that and for us it really wasn't a big thing so cutting that out already cut thousands off the wedding I mean food and drink is one of the biggest things you're going to spend your money on at a wedding feeding everybody else um so by cutting that out we just we saved thousands instantly there. Obviously, we made sure we told the guests they weren't getting a full <laughs> three-course dinner. <laughs> I mean, we did we did provide a buffet as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's just finding things that you're happy to cut out while still having a day that you really can enjoy and that is your day. And not going with like traditional things as well. Like I'm a big fan of saying it's your day, your rules. So don't stick to traditions because that's just going to cost you a fortune. If you are in the process of planning a wedding, where do you start? So you you figured out the things that you won't compromise on. So is it setting a budget? Setting a budget. I think once you've got an idea of, of what you're going to have in your day, then you can start looking at how much those things cost. Um, and where most of your money is going to go. Again, I think things like, obviously, your your venues and things like that need booking quite far in advance. Even your suppliers, like photographers and things like that, need booking quite far in advance. I mean, I imagine now there's such a backlog with weddings that were postponed. I mean, we postponed our wedding, and we were really lucky in that we could just move everything fairly easily. But I think there's been just such a backlog now. People are booked like years in advance. So I think you need to think about like where you're allocating your budget for like photographer, outfits, venues, things like that. And then just get researching for like venues and your photographers and things like that and just get them booked as quickly as you possibly can. Are there sort of quirky tips, quirky things that you can do to, you know deal with all those extras because sometimes it's the extras that you find sort of add onto the budget that you weren't expecting yeah we did a lot of stuff ourselves so I think if you're quite 
I, I'm, I'm useless at DIY stuff, but it worked <laughs> quite well because I just had all the ideas and said to my husband, right, I want this, this and this. And he went off and did it. <laughs> so that worked quite well. But I think if you can get like friends and family in to help as well, that might be a bit like more crafty or creative or even like things like your wedding cake. Wedding cakes are so expensive. Um, we had cupcakes and then a single tier cake rather than a big full like three, four tiered cake. But if you've got someone in your family that can bake and they're willing to do your wedding cake for you, you can already save thousands there. Like, obviously pay them for it because a lot of time and effort goes into it. But as opposed to going to, like, a bakery, like, just get all the help you can from friends and family that can do things that you can't do yourselves. So clearly you could probably have a day where you literally go to a registry office and then you go for dinner. But a lot of people, a wedding's really special. It's it's that, as you were saying, you know, you wanted that experience of the dress. So people do need to save. How much do you think is a realistic goal for people wanting to get married, say, in two years' time? We, like I say, we got engaged in 2018, really started, it was like right at the end of 2018. So I started wedding planning in 2019 with the idea of getting married in 2020. So we'd given ourselves like <laughs> a year and a half-ish. Um, that all went out of the window with COVID and we ended up getting married in 2021, which was good and bad because then I ended up expanding our budget a little bit because I was like, well, we've got another year. <laughs> um but yeah, two years, I think it. there's no set answer. I don't think it all depends on how much you're comfortable in spending, really. Um, two years, if you're looking at a small wedding, though, I think you are going to have to make some cutbacks. Obviously, everything's really expensive at the moment and there's not a lot of wiggle room in people's budgets. But I think where you can make those little cutbacks, just put your money away and save as much as you can. If you've got that budget in mind, then you've got that goal to reach as well. And it's going to help you have a better idea of how much you really need to be putting away, whether it's weekly or monthly. Yeah, I mean, it, you're right. It, it is difficult at the moment for anyone to save because cost of living pressures are so great. But if you can, if you've not already started to forgo your coffee and you've not already got rid of your, you know, TV streaming subscription or whatever, then that's the kind of thing that you can start to put into a pot. Can you make savings if you book early? Yeah, I think so. And I think as well, you've got to be a little bit cheeky sometimes. Um, and also look out, like our photographer had a deal on at the time. So I think it's always good to have like, some people do have like, right, I want this photographer and that is it. And I get it, like, you know, if you like their work, where your wedding photos are really, really important. But if you can have that little bit of wiggle room and maybe like shop around and say, oh, well, so-and-so quoted me <laughs> X amount. What can you do it for? If you're looking at a small budget wedding, you've just got to get a little bit cheeky sometimes. And I, I imagine you've also got to be prepared to have not only those cheeky conversations, but also some difficult conversations. Because when you've got a wedding, there are so many people that get involved and yeah. have ideas about what they want or who you should invite or where you should have it. D 
did you have to have any of those difficult chats? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was I was very firm from the beginning um, that it was, like I say, our wedding, our rules. If anyone says to me, oh, what's your number one piece of advice for a wedding? It's always, it's your wedding, it's your rules. You should absolutely do what you want, regardless of whether that looks like a normal wedding to other people or if someone might get a little bit offended that they're not invited. <laughs> At the end of the day, the more people you have there, the more it costs. Um, so I was really firm in the fact that, and both me and my husband agreed on it, that it was very close family and friends only. You know, none of this, your mum's best friend that you maybe saw when you were like five years old, or aunties and uncles that you've not seen for years and years. I was quite harsh with the list. I know some people do struggle with that, but I think you've just got to be firm and say, like, no offence, but we don't really keep in contact. I've not seen you in X amount of years. We're having a really small wedding. Budget's a big concern. We are only inviting close family and friends. I think you've just got to be honest, and you've, it is a little bit awkward, but you don't see them anyway, so... <laughs> Uh, and I suppose on the, the flip side of that, for a wedding guest, if you're invited to someone's wedding who you're related to but haven't seen in years and maybe you've got family you need to bring along and you've got to find accommodation and transport and a frock and everything else, for some wedding guests, it, it, it might actually be quite a relief not to get an invitation. <laughs> I would imagine so, especially now when you think like maybe like wedding gifts and evening drinks that you've got to pay out for and like everything that you've pointed out being a wedding guest is expensive as well and have you had any stories from people who've come to you for advice and have been able to bring in the wedding that they wanted in the budget that they wanted uh, yeah like I've had quite a few people that have said like there's things on my blog that's helped them out um, and obviously on Instagram there's quite a nice little community on there of people especially when I was planning my wedding as well there's quite um, a little group of us that had all sort of postponed as weddings and had to move it and then we were looking at like because I think obviously when there were restrictions and stuff a lot of people were starting to look at like micro weddings and stuff that had maybe been looking at these big budget weddings and realizing that that's actually not that important it was more about getting married so I had quite a few people um, whose weddings that I did feature on my blog as well who completely like ditched the big wedding and just went for a really small micro wedding which was quite nice <laughs> yeah it's funny that we get so caught up with the wedding and then actually it's the marriage that is the important thing. But having said that, the pressure on Instagram, the images that you see, it, it does make it very difficult to let it go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I started, I mean, like Pinterest is a big thing for planning your wedding <laughs> and having like a Pinterest perfect wedding and I think people can get really carried away with like, oh, well, I need like smoke bombs and big confetti balloons and a leather jacket that says Missus on the back. And it's like, if you really, really, really want those things, like I say, your wedding, your your rules, go for it. But if you're only wanting them because that's what you're seeing on social media and everyone else has it, then maybe it's time to like 
take a step back and think about what you really want on your wedding day. Lauren, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. Thank you so much. I'm sure Thank you've you. given some real food for thought for people out there who are thinking about getting married soon or, or maybe just thinking about getting married one day. Yeah, um, we we were together 11 years before uh, we even got engaged, so never lose hope. <laughs> Lauren Catton, a.k.a. the Thrifty Bride, there with some fab tips, but she also had a confession. Yes, even the uber-thrifty Lauren had a tale to tell, so let's open up Laura's confessional once again. Uh, yep, yeah, when we were looking at um, moving in together, we couldn't decide whether renting or buying would be better, what was like in our budget and things like that. So we got some money saved up and we're like, mm, we'll probably buy or shall we go on holiday to Disney World instead? So we chose the holiday to Disney World. <laughs> we did end up buying a house, but we probably could have done it a year earlier had we not blown all the money going and seeing Mickey Mouse. But I met Mickey was good, yeah? Mickey was very good and it was very much a dream holiday for us both, so no regrets. Wow, I mean, I'm a fan of a holiday, but that I like the impulsiveness maybe of that. But that does <laughs> it oh, affects your heart there, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. You know, it really your spreadsheets. <laughs> it does, but I'm sure they had an amazing holiday, and then they saved up for a house again. So they did they, a win-win in the end. <laughs> <laughs> yes, win-win in the end. And um, I have to say that uh, having been to Disney and thoroughly enjoying it, uh, I, I sort of com completely understand where Lauren is coming from. And she did get a house in the end. So there we go. Uh, thank you to Lauren for being such a great sport. You can find her blog and website at www.thethriftybride.co.uk and, of course, on all social media channels. And just like Money Matters, so do leave us a message on Twitter or Instagram and, of course, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it so you don't miss an episode. To find us on social media, just go to AJ Bell Money Matters. And if you do subscribe to the podcast or even just listen to the podcast, do leave us a review because it helps other people find it. And as we count down the day to International Women's Day, we're getting incredibly excited to see some of you at our next in-person event on the 1st of March in London. So don't forget to sign up to our newsletter so that you hear all about our podcast topics, all the articles we've written to help you deal with a whole range of financial life moments and any additional in-person events that we are planning for the rest of the year. And thanks for listening. We will see you next time. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.